As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Everybody to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and joining me today, I've got two individuals. The first is a young American who rose through the ranks to watch every single shot Daryl DK has taken for Barnsley this season. <laughs> it's Joe Lowry. Hi, Joe. I I genuinely don't know if that's a compliment, if that's an insult, if that's just a message that I wasted a lot of my time for that article I wrote for the Athletic. Either way, Taylor, it's great to be here and to talk with you and uh, another special guest. Things can be several things, I guess, <laughs> in this scenario. Uh, joining Joe and myself is uh, a crafty American soccer veteran who's seen it all and knows that Eunice Musa should probably play every position for the national team. From the Scuff Podcast, it's Adam Bells. Hi, Adam. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. And that will be the last time I call you Adam. It will be Bells from now on. But I felt, you know, we got to go first name first. And now we'll go back to Bells. Uh, we're going to be handing out some uh, American Abroad awards later on in the show. But we're going to take a look at the U.S. roster for the upcoming Nations League games first. But before even all of that, uh, Bells, how are you all preparing for this summer? Because there are lots of different competitions at various points. Are you scheduling it all out? Are you going to try to cover all the U.S. and U.S. women's national team games? What, what's the, uh, the sort of focus for you all? Uh, the focus is going to be on the men's national team. We have to we have to make choices, and uh, mm-hmm. and that's that's our sort of purview. But I have some I have some unwritten emails to send to people to to join us on uh, some of these recaps because you know, as we know, there's going to be four in a row in yep. the next couple of weeks, and then the Gold Cup will be really busy too. So for us, we're on a we're on a weekly metabolism. This is going to really really be taxing. Well, yeah, and you all have you all have other stuff you're focused on as well, right? This isn't like like what's going to be. Are you taking off to just cover the Gold Cup, or do you have other stuff still in the works? Oh, yeah. I mean, I I have scuffed news on the side, and that is that's always going along, and a morning newsletter that has nothing to do with soccer. But um, you know, soccer takes precedence overall. All right. Well, there we are. Well, so we're going to talk this uh, this Nations League roster, uh, but I wanted to start off. Joe, eventually I will ask you a question, yeah, but uh, I'm going to go back to Bells for a moment because I wanted to get into the idea of the schedule uh, itself. You talked about this in your uh, recent episode where you all broke down the roster, which was a great one. Uh, 
And it was an idea that I had not really thought of. So I wanted to turn it over to you to talk about why we've got this Switzerland friendly in Europe. Yeah. And, and you know, Bobby Warshaw, we were talking about this off air, but Bobby Warshaw interviewed Burhalter for the like the House U.S. Soccer podcast. And I think that dropped this morning and they talked about it as well. But basically, the Switzerland friendly is uh, serves as a proxy for the club game that all of a lot of our players will be playing before every international window this fall. And so it's like, you know, they're going to be playing on Saturday, Sunday at Wolfsburg or RB Leipzig or wherever. And then they're going to have to get on a plane and fly to the Western Hemisphere and get ready for a game a few days later. So this is a really nice experiment because it's the Switzerland game sort of, like I said, serves as a proxy for that club game. And then we're going to have three games in quick succession on the, what is it, the 3rd, the 6th, and the 9th of June, just like these two big, you know, really important World Cup qualifying windows in September and October, both three-game windows. It's going to be a perfect test case, a perfect dress rehearsal in a lot of ways. And um, that's how Burhalter's thinking of it. And I think that I think that dress rehearsal nature of the whole thing makes this upcoming window even more interesting. I think it's like it's finally time for the casuals to tune in, you know, get on yeah, it. everybody. And, and, exactly. And, and we'll have theoretically a, a pretty strong squad at some point we won't have Pulisic and Stefan for that that game against Switzerland because of Champions League commitments right. we'll see if we end up having Tyler Adams uh like Joe or or Bells uh, whomever wants to jump in like what what do we expect in terms of differences from the roster versus Switzerland to those Nations League rosters cuz say Julian Green do we expect him to start since Pulisic won't be there do we think we'll get sort of the same names from one game to the next or will there be some experimentation well i'll, I'll hop in here quickly i'm thinking if if Baralther is setting this up as this proxy saturday game that Des will be playing from barcelona Musa in a fictional world will be starting for Valencia, McKenney for Juventus, and all, like the, the big players starting their weekend games. We should, if I have this right, see a lot of these guys, the, the first choice guys as we view it, we should see these guys playing against Switzerland. We should see Weston McKenney start. If Tyler Adams was healthy, I think he should be starting if this is the full dress rehearsal, because he would theoretically be starting for RB Leipzig or possibly be starting for RB Leipzig. Giorena should start a game like this. And, and there are difficulties, right? There are issues. Zach Steffen's not going to be here. Pulisic's not going to be here. You mentioned that already. But it's going to have to be a, f- a pretty strong lineup against Switzerland to mirror what Baralter wants this exercise to actually accomplish. Bells, am I off on that, or does that line up roughly with what you're thinking? No, I think if he takes the experiment to his logical conclusion, then yes, he has to do it that way. And I mean, I guess there's no guarantee he will do it, you know, that meticulously, but... I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. If you're going to, if you want to get people ready to play on Saturday, Sunday, and then be ready for a, a World Cup qualifier four days later, four, five days later, start the first choice roster on against Switzerland, you know? And so th- then with that, like in mind, we do have a few names, like I said, Julian Green, like Matthew Hoppe, uh, we've, like Chitoro Odonze, Justin Shea, Brian Reynolds. Would you like to see any of those players get minutes or any player in particular, Bells, like get to minutes against Switzerland just to see how they do, even if they're not then going to be competing in the Nations League? I mean, this is where we kind of just have to trust the coaching staff a little bit mm-hmm. and say, you know, if Julian, if, if Julian Green comes in to this camp and looks like the, you know, looks better than Brendan Aronson, which is not a, you know, it's not a wild impossibility. If he does, uh, then then he should start. You know, he should start on the left wing or whatever. You know, whatever whatever spot Pulisic is vacating to be in the Champions League final. 
And um, so I, I'm open to that. I don't have any specific wishes. I mean, I'd love to see Justin Shea get some minutes, get his first cap sort of just to, just to sort of bring him along, make sure he gets, has every reason to choose to play for the USA. But I'm not even really panicking about that, even though I know I have a, a great reputation for panic. Got the hard hat on. Do you? I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I have a bike helmet that I use whenever a dual national situation arises. It's uh, the, the strap. The strap is a little janky on the bottom. I like you're saying it so flatly that I now sort of believe that you actually do. No, no, he does recording, and I hope that's the case. Yeah, you should be right now, Adam. Uh, Bells, we we told you about this, right? <laughs> no, there's a Taylor. There's an old. I made a video back in the day uh, where I said I was standing at a train stop in Minneapolis with my bike helmet on, and I said I, I'm I'm standing here in Minneapolis, ready to tap my with my hard hat on and tapped my helmet, ready to start a dual national panic. And um, so people, other people have memed that ever since. I like it. I like it a lot. And I like this, this roster uh, for the most part, there was nobody on there that I was too bummed about. There's one big name we can talk about when it comes to omissions. uh, But in terms of the difference between the provisional roster and that nation's league roster, some omissions, we, uh, we didn't have some players not included. Chris Richards, Aaron Long and Jordan Morris, not Mm. there for injury issues. Uh, And then there's a lot of players who we would assume will be with the team for the gold cup, since we don't expect a ton of overlap. Uh, But for Joe, for you, uh, Daryl DK not being included in this squad, Uh, a couple different points to that one. Some speculation that he just needed to get back and, and get some rest and get some reps with Orlando city. Burhalter yesterday said that DK is with the team in training. will play against Costa Rica on June 9th, but essentially wasn't uh, at the form needed, was behind Sibichu, is the assumption there. Uh, I'm basically trying not to quote him because I can't remember the exact quote. Uh, but for you then, Joe, who watched every single one of those shots that he's had, like, do you agree with the idea that, that Daryl DK is maybe not in the form needed or not playing the role needed to play for the U.S. right now? Uh, maybe. I don't. I don't know. Daryl DK is not in the best form. It has been a while since he scored a goal. And even when he was scoring goals, he was wildly outperforming his expected goals, right? That was one of the things I talked about in the article. He still has these positive building blocks that make him a dangerous number nine, but he's not lighting the world on fire. He hasn't been for Barnsley for the last little while. Daryl DK's also got to be tired, man. He's got to be tired. He played so many games in that congested championship schedule. Then he had the two playoff games. Yeah, he didn't start the second one against Swansea as Barnsley lose that and, and don't advance to the playoff final. But he's got to be tired. And so I don't, I don't really see any problem with including Sivachu on the Nations League roster over DK. It's only, it's only two games. And in World Cup qualifying, Berhalter's going to be able to select on a game-by-game basis from a bigger pool of players. So in, in the actual show, if, if this is the dress rehearsal, in the actual show, we won't really be having this discussion. We'll be having this discussion, I guess, another layer deeper of, you know, the, the next tier. Why isn't Jesus Ferreira involved in this five-striker pool instead of DK in a two-striker pool, right? It's going to go one layer further away. But as far as just see about you versus DK, because I think Sargent is kind of the shoe in here, whether that's deserved or not, is, I guess, a different conversation. I think most folks would say it is. But see what you can do a lot of the same stuff that DK can, to be honest, in terms of being that plan B option of if the U.S. absolutely needs to scrap it and go long. See what you's a big body. We saw that back in March, and he can do roughly what DK can do, at least in terms of ball advancement and getting the U.S. into the final third. Beyond that, I, I don't know how they compare. But I guess DK is a big omission, but it's really not a totally surprising one. 
What about, what about you, Bell? Well, are you surprised by that one? Uh, I am a little surprised, and I can see why people are upset that DK is not there. You know, I mean, I'm not personally losing any sleep over it, but I think, like, look at it this way. Say you're playing center back. I know you don't play center back, Taylor. I know you're a world-class striker. But, <laughs> um, but say you're playing center back, and you have a game against the U.S. coming up. Who would you rather play against, Josh Sargent or Daryl DK? Josh Sargent. Of course. Everybody would. It's like it's not even a it's not even a it's not even a question. And so I guess I guess what I what I worry about here, I'm not saying I believe this, but what I worry about here is Burhalter's sort of like the preeminence of the system, which I think you could argue you could interpret what happened in 2019 where we gave like hundreds and hundreds of minutes to players who aren't very good. Uh and and you know, we had a pretty uninspiring year as you know, Burhalter Berhalter favoring the system over just like, you know, just talent, just impressive soccer players who can make plays. And I, I'm a big Josh Sargent fan. I think he's, I, I very much hope he comes good and becomes like a, you know, a productive Bundesliga striker. But right now, if you want to like, if you want to win a soccer game and you need somebody to go get the ball and score a goal, I can't see how you would take Sargent over DK, unless you're talking about, you know, Sargent fits the system better. And I think he does. He, he does fit the system better as Berhalter has articulated and as we've seen the U.S. play. But, you know, that's that's just my long way of saying that I have this little concern that Berhalter puts the system over everything and doesn't like it doesn't just say, hey, this guy's a baller. Let's get him into camp and let's see what he can do, you know. So then with this, like this kind of upcoming series of games in mind, are there things that any one of these strikers could do to sort of make you feel more comfortable? Because I think for me, it, it's the position that I'm most uncertain about that like up until a few months ago, I was like, I think Josie's still in that conversation. I'm not really sure. Uh, and I don't really like feel that level of confidence. And I think Matt Doyle uh, wrote a good piece about this. Uh, Bells, I know you uh, you enjoyed this one as well, or at least retweeted this part of it. Yeah. Uh, that like the idea that Josh Sargent, you can be of one of two minds that either he's just like not not doing enough, not good enough, not performing well enough, or that he is uh, on a team that are not creating the chances and putting him in the best positions and even playing him in the right position. Uh, and I think myself, Doyle, and Bells, Joe, probably you as well, um, all sort of in the mindset that maybe Bremen aren't the best club for him right now, but that he has played a lot of games, has gotten a lot of minutes, and maybe at a certain point it becomes more than just the team. And I think we're kind of fast approaching that, if not already there. So, Joe, we'll start with you. Is there anything that, like, let's say uh, Sibachu starts a game and scores two goals. Like, is he number one in your rankings at that point? Like, it feels like any sort of good performance at national team level will move a player up into the number one, number nine spot, so to speak. Yeah, possibly, right? If Sibachu comes out and lights the world on fire, yeah, start him in the first game of World Cup qualifying. I don't have any issue with that just because it doesn't feel like there's a lot that separates Sargent from DK and DK from Sibachu and Sibachu from Zardes and the list goes on, right? There's not mm-hmm. a lot of a difference between these two players or between all these players. I, I still think though, I guess compared to Bells at least, I am more inclined to look for players who fit the system better. And maybe that's maybe that's a problem. And maybe that was a problem back in twenty nineteen. I think it probably was. But Sargent I think brings a lot more. He's more of a complete number nine than Sibachu and DK. And and maybe he's not as dangerous crashing up against center backs. 
But I think he can do more with his feet than either one of those guys. I think he's more dangerous dropping into midfield and allowing guys like Christian Pulisic and Tim Weah to run off of him and then stretch the back line or McKenney to, to make those line-breaking runs. You don't get as much of that with a DK or a Cibichu as that nine. So from Sargent specifically, I want to see him play and I want to see him score goals because I think if he scores one, two, three goals over this four-game window, then, then he is the guy for September, for October, for, for World Cup qualifying. He is the guy. I guess I'd be a little hesitant to say that about Cibichu or DK unless they do genuinely light mm-hmm. the world on fire just because I don't think they fit quite as well as Sargent does right now. Yeah, I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth here too because I do. I mostly agree with that. Like I, I do think Sargent, Sargent's ability to drop in and 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 play quick combinations and and you know turn somebody and dribble for a little while and then make find a good pass is you know it's it's I think the best in the pool at striker and we want that and obviously Burhalter wants that and I and I'm optimistic that Burhalt that I'm sorry that Sargent will look better with like a full complement of talent around him, you know, say, say we have everybody healthy for that Honduras game and we've got Pulisic on one side, Reyna on the other side, Sargent up top. I mean, I'd be surprised if he doesn't score a goal in that game, you know? Um, and, but it's really going to be about, uh, I don't think it's going to be about, did he score two goals or did he score three goals? I mean, I, maybe it will be, but for me, it's more like, how does he look in the run of play, you know, over 70 minutes or sure. over 90 minutes, whatever he plays. And, um, I think you guys probably agree with that. You know, how, how much, how much is he helping us build and create chances? And, uh, and then, but then that's the, that's the knock on him. He's got to get in the box. He's got to make a decisive run and then get his head on it or get his foot on it and put it away. And that's the part of his game that I think is still like, that's where I would, I would take a DK over a sergeant. I was going very to ask confu- you, I know this is all very confusing. You would like to see. No, no, it's 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 not. I think you you just uh, answered my question before I could even ask it. Because I was going to ask, what would you like to see him do in these games that maybe we haven't seen him do that would make you feel a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more secure with him as the starting number nine? And maybe the runs into the box, the aggressive runs and making something happen off of those would would sort of tick a few boxes for you. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think he I think he sometimes looks a little foggy headed in the box and we need him to be, you know, bright, bright eyed and uh, alert and just ruthless. I, I sh- one more thing, and then I'll shut up for a second. But he, <laughs> he, um, it is worth pointing out. He's 21 years old. He is exactly the age, almost to the month that uh, that Clint Dempsey was when he was like two months into his first season with the New England Revolution. So it's you know anybody who's saying you know give up on Sergeant, this is it's the end for him. Which I know not many people are saying that is uh is off the rocker he's got he's still very young in a position that requires a lot of confidence and intelligence and you know he's got time so if the bike helmet is like full-on panic where are you in terms of the bike helmet when it comes to josh Sargent? is it in the hand is it on the shelf is it like being put on top of the head but not securely fastened yet? Where are you in that one? <laughs> I don't even know where the bike helmet is with regard to <laughs> there josh we go. Sargent. see all right yeah. cool cool yeah that's all I needed to know and now yeah. I, I think either you uh, you got to work on your organizational skills, or we don't need to worry about Josh Sargent. And I'm going to go with say the, both. Uh... Let's say both. <laughs> hey, folks, Joe Lowry here. While Bell's looks for his hard hat, I wanted us to take just a second to hear from today's sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Uh, Joe, what about when it comes to the midfield? Because Tyler Adams is on this roster, but carrying an injury, hasn't been playing for Leipzig. We don't know if he will be able to play or if he can, how much. What would you like to see the U.S. do with those three midfield positions that we expect them to uh, to roll out? Uh, Bells, I will come to you in a second because I'm excited to hear what you have to say, but Joe, I wanted to start with you. I think the top midfield right now, if Tyler Adams is healthy, is Adams, McKennie, and Musa. And, and Leggett maybe could mm-hmm. fight in at one of those number eight spots, and I won't argue really much with anybody about that. But some some combination of those guys is is first choice. But then it really gets interesting when Tyler Adams is injured, as he so often is. And that's unfortunate, right? He, he missed that last game for Leipzig, went back home to New York or, or New Jersey or wherever for treatment, and now is back in, in camp with the U.S. or will be, if he's not already, for this stretch of games. Baralta brought two guys who can very clearly be his backup at that number six spot if Adams can't go. Jackson Ewell and Kellen Acosta. And we've only gotten to see a little bit of Kellen Acosta. I, I liked him in Jamaica, in that Jamaica game. Not in Jamaica, but I liked him in that game. And, and Northern Ireland wasn't as strong, but we were talking before we recorded, and there were a lot of factors behind that. The Rapids were in preseason. He just played a game beforehand against Jamaica leading up to that Northern Ireland game. There's a lot going against him. It was a new system as well for the U.S. in that 3-4-3 where his role changes a little bit, has to do a little bit more, and he was pressed more aggressively. So there's a lot of nuance there. Then you got Jackson Ewell, who Berhalter has said, and, and Bells, I know you and, and Greg have talked about this on your show, needs to be tested. He's a guy that Berhalter looks at and says, I want to see this guy in more games. And so for that reason, kind of assuming that Adams can't go against Switzerland, I don't know what will happen against Honduras and then the Nations League final or third place game and then Costa Rica. But I kind of like to see Jackson Yule get a run out. He wouldn't be my first choice, certainly. I think I honestly, I think I like Acosta more in that role just because of what he brings and how he can help the U.S. press. But if there's a game to see Jackson Yule and, and see what he can bring against a good team, this Switzerland game might be that it might be it. Mm-hmm. And you had and when you have uh, McKinney and Musa as your number eights in the ideal midfield, do you care which one is on the left and which one is on the right, or do you have them kind of rotating as the as the situation requires? I, I'm kind of okay with it, no matter what. I think Musa against right. Jamaica, if I'm remembering correctly, played on the right and dropped back to give Acosta some cover, and that rotation worked out really well. Musa, I, Bells, you might talk about this, so I might be stealing your thunder because I'm, I'm stealing this point from you. I think Musa okay. is a is a real good option at the six as well. I don't think we'll see that over this four-game stretch, but he could be a guy to watch in those deeper areas, certainly during the run of play, but maybe even just starting there at some point down the line. So, Bells, I, I know that that's, that's where you are on, on Musa if we do need that number six. What is it that like you think he has that could really work? I'm assuming it's the mobility, but like it's just weird for me because I haven't seen him play that role and we've seen him play out wide even for for Valencia so I'm excited to hear why that would work because I would love that I just have a hard time getting my head around it well I would argue that against especially against Northern Ireland it was you know it was a 3-4-3 and it was a double kind of a double pivot uh and he ended up being the midfielder I don't know if you'd call it the six but he ended up being the midfielder right in front of the center backs pretty often and even in the Jamaica game uh 
I feel like we're seeing more fluidity between the sixes and the eights uh, in general, um, specifically with Acosta at the six. I mean, he and like like Joe just said, Musa was dropping in to provide cover for Acosta with some frequency. Acosta was getting forward. There was it's just a lot. It's not quite as clear cut as like the you know the lineupbuilder.com uh, picture that we're that we're putting together. You know what I mean? So that's I guess that's one way I think of it. And yeah, I I I agree with Joe Adams. Adams Musa McKenney is the best is the best midfield. I know Greg Velasquez, my my very intelligent co-host, would agree that we need to see Ewell tested against Switzerland. And uh, I mean, I I guess I'm fine with that. I I just don't really believe in his athleticism at the six. Um, and I'm and I'm and I'm just allergic. I'm after so many games with like Bradley at the six over the last three years. I'm just allergic to having a slow number six. Especially when we have, uh, you know, th- these games in CONCACAF where we're getting beaten for pace or strength, you know, once or twice can cost you a, a game. And I just don't, I could be wrong, but I just don't think Jackson Ewell is the answer. Yeah, no, I I think that's where I am as well. Sorry, I, I interrupted no, you. No, that's I just it. wanted to back you up there to say that, like, no, because I think even if you have, a, like, Ewell against a team that have targeted that we know the number six is going to be slow, so we can kind of go at that spot. And even if you, like, develop a game plan with that in mind, we've seen on occasion when that number six gets pulled out, when Yule does have to go out and put out a fire out wide, teams can attack right through the middle. And I, and I think that's where he's not going to be able to make up that ground. I share that concern about Yule as the number six as well. So all the more reason for maybe it to be uh, Yunus Musa in there. Yeah, or or Acosta. I think Acosta's a, a little more reliable in that way than than Yule is. I mean, we need we need more data on Acosta too, for sure. And I'm not going to be mad if Yule ends up playing as the six in this game. Um, but but yeah, if, I guess my second choice, if Adams isn't ready to go, and it sure seems like that's a very real possibility, my second choice would be Acosta, Musa, McKenny. You know. I, I just like the image of, of Bells breaking out in hives the second he sees Jackson's name in the lineup sheet yeah. posted on Twitter by at USMNT. I mean, I can see it. Everybody Swelling see in my bells. neck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I know this sounds like a question in jest. I mean it sincerely. Based on what you just said, is there something that could be done that would make you like actually angry? Is there a thing you just do not want to see with this team anymore, Bells? Hmm. Have you moved past the anger stage when it comes to the U.S. national team? I kind of, I mean, for now I have, yeah. I mean, I want to see, I, I'll i be angry if we don't, you know, say we go to this um, this final, this Nations League final against Mexico. We make it through Honduras and we play against Mexico in the final and we still get embarrassed. I'm going to, I think there's a really good argument to be, to be made that like, hey, this is a problem. And uh, I don't know if it's like time to fire anybody or anything, but... Like we gotta, we gotta see a good performance game against Mexico. If we, even if we don't win and we look pretty good, that you know, soccer can break lots of different ways. A soccer game can break different ways. You you win some, you lose some. But we gotta look like we're up to the level. We have the players to do it. We need our coach to be able to put it together. And I think now is the time. That's the sort of the dry, the drama of this Nations League window for me, at least, is now is the time where there's like, there's no more excuses. We gotta, we gotta bring it. When we play Mexico and Denver, if we play Mexico and Denver. Mm. So I would, that would, there's no like specific lineup decision that would make me mad that I can think of at the moment. And, and, but, um, but that would, I would be a little frustrated if we looked bad against Mexico. 
Uh, yeah, I'm with you on that one. Uh, I do want to get to our sort of season review of Americans Abroad. I have a couple more questions for you all. They are very positional uh, specific. Uh, so I'll ask you both and we'll just kind of roll through it that way. Uh, as I said, Christian Pulisic will not be there for the Switzerland game. Joe, who would you like to see start on that left wing? I would say the options are Brendan Aronson, maybe Timothy Weah, maybe Julian Green. Man, I feel like every question you ask, I'm like, oh, it could be three different options because I actually see it as <laughs> Gio Reyna, Tim Weah, and Brendan Aronson fighting for two of those spots. And we've, mm-hmm. as far as I can recall, we've only ever seen Gio Reyna on the right side of a front three for the U.S. And the same with Tim Weah. Maybe we've seen him on the left. I, I want to see Tim Weah play. And that's kind of the end-all be-all for me at this point. I really enjoy Brendan Aronson. I think we'll talk about him more later on. But I'd like to see Weah and Reyna, and I don't really care which one is on which side, if that makes sense. What about you, Bells? <laughs> I, uh, I think I'd like to see... I mean, I like. I'm a. I'm a huge fan of Gio Reyna now. I think he brings so much to the, to the team in in terms of immediate utility, uh, just in the way he the way he can receive the ball, the, how good he is in physical battles. Um, and so I, I need I need him starting on the right. Who starts on the left is, oh boy, I don't I don't know. I don't have a strong opinion. <laughs> All right, well, let's let's do this then. With the remaining kind of question marks for the Switzerland game, I would say who partners John Brooks at center back would be one. And then I am operating under the assumption that it will be Serginho Dest at left back based on what we've seen previously, but then also looking at the kind of depth chart we have. Uh, so uh, that then opens the question of who do we want to start at right back? And the last one would be if Zach Steffen isn't going to be there, again, Champions League final, who do we want to start in goal? Uh, so those are three different positions. Do either of you have a player or players you would like to see in any of those roles? Or once again, is it sort of like, yeah, there's a lot of depth, there's a lot of quality, I'll be okay with whatever, and we'll have to see what happens. I can do this. Taylor, I can do this. All right, I, I've been yeah, sitting here, right. I I've got three names, too. and I'm not going to say any more words. Uh, I right. would like to see Mark McKenzie. I would like to see Ethan Horvath. I, I'd actually like to see David Ochoa, but I just don't think that's going to happen. And mm-hmm. I uh, I would like to, shoot, was it right back? That was the last one, right? Man, yeah. I, I really screwed Reggie this up. Reggie Cannon, DeAndre Yedlin, Brian Reynolds. And I'd like to see Brian Reynolds. Do I think that will happen? Absolutely not. But that is what Joe Lowry, third person I'm going all in, would like to see. <laughs> all right. I'll, I'll agree on McKenzie. I, I'm torn between he and Miazga, but I think uh, – they have, I think they have sort of similar defensive weaknesses, but but McKenzie's a a better passer of the ball, a better striker of the ball. So I'd like to, see, and also has more upside. So I'd like to see him pairing with Brooks, even though it's not a perfect pairing. And then, um, yeah, I'll take Cannon at right back and Dest at left back, partly because I think Anthony Robinson is still working through an injury. Isn't that right? And then, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, I think he is. And so, I mean, he's one of the many players on this roster kind of working through an injury. And then I'll, I'll take a Choa in goal <laughs> because even though I, like Joe said, it's probably not going to happen. I think he is, uh, he is the, he is the one keeper in the player pool who is actually good with his feet. Uh, I mean, others are decent with their feet, but he's actually good with his feet. And, uh, I think let's, let's give him a little confidence boost after that, you know, horrendous mistake in Olympic qualifying. And um and keep him you know keep him energized and in a game that doesn't really matter that much if he makes a big mistake I guess that'll be bad for his confidence but it won't really hurt us. And bells, I think you guys said on your show that you thought uh, Ochoa had the best footwork of of any goalkeeper. I wasn't sure if that was any goalkeeper on this current roster. Like, do you think he's he's got superior footwork to say Zach Steffen? Well, you mean footwork as in like 
playing with the ball at his feet or footwork yeah. as in yeah yes 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 sorry yeah i'm i'm i am i am not the technical goalkeeper expert for sure yeah i yeah. mean uh yeah passing and like uh passing range passing vision all that good stuff yeah i think i think it's pretty clear he's the i mean he he might he might make more mistakes i mean he obviously does make mistakes it happens um and he made a bad one in olympic qualifying but um yeah he he does he disguises his passes sometimes he hits the clipped ball to the to the sideline very effectively and consistently i think i don't think zach stefan is as good at with the ball at his feet as, as a choice. So that game uh, is Sunday night, May 30th against Switzerland. Then we've got Thursday against Honduras, uh, the semifinal, uh, the final or the third place game would be uh, on Sunday, June 6th. Then we've got the friendly against Costa Rica, where we would assume Daryl DK would start on June 9th. Uh, I know we will be covering those games. I'm guessing uh, you find folks at scuffed will as well. Uh, So with all that said, let's talk about uh, the Americans Abroad season review. And as I've already said like four different times, we do still have some Americans playing abroad, specifically Christian Pulisic and Zach Steffen in the Champions League final. Uh, But it felt like the right time to do this, especially since uh, the schedule intensifies from here. Hey, everybody. Joe Lowry here cutting in again. I know you get to hear more of me. Before we get to that Americans Abroad season review that Taylor's been talking about, I wanted us to take another break to hear from today's lovely sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. So we've got a few different categories to go through. Uh, we can keep these as specific or broad as we want, but I wanted to start by asking, uh, Joe, let's start with you. Who do you think had the best change of scenery this season? So in the summer or in January or on a free transfer, or even maybe promoted to a senior team, uh, who are your maybe nominees or some, some players that you think had particularly good moves, and then who is the, uh, the winner for you? 
Yeah, there are a lot of possible nominations, and I'm not going to list them all. Chris Richards is a guy I thought about moving uh, to Hoffenheim on loan uh, at the start of February. Luca De La Torre is a guy I thought about moving from Fulham, not really playing at all for them, over to Heracles and the Eredivisie. Dest is a, is a kind of an obvious one, moving from Ajax to Barcelona. But my answer, gentlemen, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if you all picked this guy as well, is Weston McKenney. Moving from Schalke to Juve, just a move that I never thought would happen. I went on a, a Southampton podcast when that move looked like it was going to happen. McKenney going, going from Schalke to start or at least be a rotation player for Southampton mid-table in the Premier League. And then he comes in to Juventus and actually plays. He becomes a key player for them, has his loan option, or has his option to buy triggered by Juventus in March, wins the Coppa Italia, helps Juve finish in the UCL spots. Man, what a season from McKenney that I, I genuinely, if you had asked me eight months ago, would never, never, ever have expected. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And I think a lot of that was because it didn't feel like Schalke were going to let him go. It felt like they needed him there. And I do think that when I was considering my answer to this question, I did forget that he could still be at Schalke and what that nightmare would look like. <laughs> so I think for how that's gone, like how it's gone for Schalke versus, yes, Juve struggled yeah. to make it into the Champions League, but I think Schalke would very much happily take a struggle to make it into the Champions League as opposed to relegation. Uh, and then I think if we look at, I think the news today was that Ozan Kabak's loan isn't going to be made permanent. He's likely to go back to Schalke, so then that's going to be a player they have to move on, and that feels like a sort of another crisis situation for him, a lot of uncertainty there. So I think that McKenney doesn't have to deal with that and is instead in the Champions League next season, won some silverware. Joe, I agree. Bell's how say you. Yeah, I agree. It's it's the, I mean, to go from a tire fire and to playing next to Cristiano Ronaldo and, um, you know, in a locker room with Gianluigi Buffon, it's mm-hmm. it's a uh, you can't. I I I I don't know how many transfers in the history of soccer have been better than that one. Um, so good for his career. Automatically elevates his him as a player and his future as a player. So, yeah, that's. I think it's. Uh, but but you know there was a lot to pick from, and it's too bad. Serginio Dest doesn't get mentioned here, but somehow that doesn't seem quite as like as quite as as quite a big of a jump up. I have a feeling that he's he Serginho Dest is going to be mentioned in several different categories. I don't know if he wins any of them, but I think he gets mentioned a lot uh over the course of this show. Uh and then I I was going to add Joe, I can't remember if you threw him in there, but Brendan Aronson would be my only other one just yeah. because I think it's not that I didn't expect him to hit the ground running the way he did. It's just that he has looked so running so at full sprint hitting the ground and just like like rising to the occasion on the physicality side which we've talked about but then also scoring goals getting assists fitting into the system looking like maybe another move is in the works for him at some point next season I think that's been about as good of a move as a move could be but Bells I'm with you though that it's still not moving to Juve in the Champions League and playing with Ronaldo and Buffon and all those big names so yeah I think Weston McKinney gets the edge. But if we're talking about positive transfers, ones that worked out, that then begs the question for me, at least, of who are the players that now are most in need of a move? And I'm going to guess, Spells, that one of the names we've already discussed on this show is probably going to be in this category. But who do you have on that list? Yeah, it's Josh Sargent. For, for yep. <laughs> you guessed it right. The <laughs> for, for a long time, I said he needed to stick it out in Bremen and mm-hmm. figure out how to be a good striker there. But I've I've definitely come around to the he needs to move point of view we still don't know if he's capable of being uh you know a a high level striker in the Bundesliga I mean you know whatever however you want to measure that 10 goals or something like that 
But um, we know he won't be doing that at Bremen because they won't be in the Bundesliga anymore. And so if the rumors are true and there's interest further up the table, he should make the move. Yes, I would I would agree entirely with that. And I had him uh, in my number one spot. Joe, is that where he was for you? Uh, honestly, no. The answer is no. Okay. Uh, but your arguments have swayed me. I have Josh Sargent, I have Reggie Cannon, and I have Uli Giannis yep. on my list. And I yep. originally wrote down Uli Giannis, actually, on mm. loan at Huronvain from Wolfsburg, not playing for them, not not playing in the Eredivisie at, like, at all. Then he, he gets that call up to Olympic qualifying, and he gets hurt. And now he's not playing anywhere and he hasn't been and I don't know I know for a while he's in California now there are rumors about him going to the Houston Dynamo to reunite with Tab Ramos I have no idea what's happening with Uliana's right now he's so talented he has three U.S. men's national team caps I really enjoy him as a player really strong performance in the U20 World Cup back in I think 2019 that would have been was a, a key player for that team I, I love Uliana's as a player and I think he's a great fit for Baralter's system as a tucked in winger or as a winger starting wider and dribbling inside and rotating but I, I think you guys are probably right. Josh Sargent, with how important he is to the national team right now, maybe not going down to the two Bundesliga. Maybe that's not the best spot for him. Maybe he should be looking to play at a higher level. I can see the two Bundesliga being okay for him, but Sargent probably needs that move from a national team perspective more than Cannon or Yanez do. Uli's a good shout. Uli's a good shout, though. He does need yeah. he does need to sort out his situation. I agree with you. He's very talented. I'm a big fan of him. But... This year has not gone well for him. Do either of you have an idea as to why it hasn't gone well? Is it just wrong place, wrong situation, wrong system? Or are there other issues that need to be figured out? There was some some personal stuff. There was a death in the family. I, I'm pretty sure uh, in the early spring that you know sort of precipitated his return to the U.S. And um, I think it's you know there's a lot there's a lot of factors, but it wasn't all like. You know, he just didn't perform. You know, there was a, there were there were there were extenuating circumstances that caused this this year to not go well. And so, Joe, I think that is that that is definitely a strong nomination. And I think if Werder Bremen hadn't been relegated, if they just finished maybe one point above the relegation places or like won the relegation playoff, I think Liana's might go to the top of my list. It's just because Sergeant, I don't really want him playing in this five Bundesliga. I'd rather him get more opportunities in, in the Bundesliga itself or in another league where he'll maybe be in a stronger attack. That would make me happy. But Ulianez, for the kind of uncertainty around what will happen next and where he goes and how he continues to progress, man, I did not see him jumping Reggie Cannon, who I was hoping would get a move at the end of this season. But I guess he's still in the Portuguese league and they didn't get relegated Boavista. So at least there's that. He's in a stronger position than maybe either Sargent or Ulianas. Is that fair to say, Joe? Yeah, and that's weird, right? I don't think, Taylor, yeah. you or I expected that if you'd no, asked us a month ago. Not at all. I probably would have said, get get Cannon out of there. Mm-hmm. And there have been rumors and reports, more than rumors, reports from The Athletic and a number of other uh, reputable outlets about him having interest from Syria, and that could be an interesting move adding to the American contingent over in Italy. But I, I think just Cannon doesn't, it sounds terrible, it, it just doesn't matter quite as much versus guys like Sargent especially, and, and then maybe even just from an upside perspective, Uliana. So I don't know, we'll see what happens. I think all three of these guys could genuinely end up moving before too long. All right. Any other players we can think of that we would like to get moves this summer or that were like came to mind but didn't quite make the short list? <laughs> Well, I guess, you know, DK, who was a strong contender for best winter transfer because of his loan to Barnsley, I'd, I'd yeah. like to see him get a move. And that the, the talk on that seems to have quieted down a little bit. It does, right? 
Yeah, to the point where Doyle's suggesting that he goes back to Orlando and plays some games is is also not where I thought we would be maybe a month or so ago. And I don't think that's just buying into the hype. I think that he had sort of justified it, albeit by outperforming his XG, which is a phrase that I never would have said until Joe Lowry uh, <laughs> taught me what it means and how it works. Thanks, Joe. Uh, but yeah, so I think that maybe that's another another solid nominee. Maybe we talk about him when it comes to our position-specific categories, which we're going to do now. We've got best defender, best midfielder, best attacker. Uh, I skipped goalkeeper. We can do that one if you all like, but I think neither none of us maybe feel like that accomplished to speak on goalkeepers, and also it feels like the answer is just sort of clearly Zach Steffen. Yeah, goalkeeper... I, I don't. None of us know how to talk about goalkeepers, right? I certainly don't, and I don't think you guys do either. We can look <laughs> at what they do with their feet, but Zach Steffen didn't play this season in games that actually mattered. He's not going to play in the Champions League how final. How dare you besmirch the league cup? I mean, how dare you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that says it all right there. <laughs> Ethan Horvath, I, I guess, kind of wins this by default, but there's there's no goalkeeper that I feel confident enough to be like, yes, this is the guy who has earned that best goalkeeper in Europe from an American Perspective Award that we are so gratuitously giving out on the Total Soccer Show. <laughs> uh, the Bells, what about you for best defender? Who have you got in that uh, in that field? So I answer this question in a very specific way. Oh, wow. uh, it, he may not be the best player who plays a defensive position, but he is the best at defending in the pool, I think. And it's Chris Richards. Uh, he, so, you know, Dest is a higher level player than, than Richards. And I think Brooks is, is two at the moment. But, uh, but if, in terms of like somebody who plays defense, well, I think it's Chris Richards. He's versatile. He's intelligent. He's mobile. He's really tough to beat one V one. He's decent. He's getting better in the air and he's just an all around solid defender at a high level. I think that the, that, particularly that one match against RB Leipzig where RB Leipzig had title hopes on the line and they played Hoffenheim and, and Hoffenheim played him to a zero zero draw. That was for me, the moment where I said like Richards is Richards has arrived, you know, that's the highest level of, of the sport. I mean, it's not the highest level, but it's right up there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he, he delivered. So he's my best defensive player, according to my definition of it. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I like that a lot because, uh, again, I, I, that's why I like kind of having these conversations is because I think I probably did have Dest as my number one with Brooks behind. But you make a really good argument for Richards, not really relating to the argument, but my looming question about him is that we, we know Bayern are moving center backs on. We know they want to kind of like retool, rebuild a little bit uh, for next season. Nagelsmann coming in. I don't hear a lot about Richards being like returning to Bayern and being in contention for a starting spot or maybe in a rotational position. Does that concern you at all, or does it maybe just is it maybe just the case that he's going to move somewhere else, and so they're sort of looking in other directions because they know he's got a foot out the door already? Yeah, I think the most likely outcome is he moves somewhere else, maybe goes on another loan, or maybe goes to Hoffenheim permanently. I know that that idea was rumored earlier in the spring. Uh, yeah, I just think I think starting for Bayern Munich at center back is a is a really really high bar, and he's not he's probably not there yet. You know, he's competing he's competing against the as Greg Velasquez likes to say, if you're when you're trying to be a center back for Bayern Munich, you're competing against the best center backs in the world. You're competing against the entire global market of center backs because they can bring in whoever they want, and um, I just don't think he's quite there yet. Might be there in a couple of years, but we don't need him to be there you know, to be extremely useful for the national team. So if he ends up at Hoffenheim for a couple, a couple of years or, or some other Bundesliga club, which seems like that, that is very much like within the mm-hmm. realm of possibility, that's fine. 
So we want him competing against the very best center backs at Hoffenheim, not the very best center backs in the world. Yeah, I just think he, I just don't think he's there yet. I don't think he is. Yeah. I don't think he's a Jerome Boateng level center back yet. He may be someday. That's I, that, that's that's a really good point, and that's probably like the that is the fair way to read the situation. I think with defenders, for whatever reason, I, I think because it, it it's harder in my mind to like know exactly what they're doing really well. You don't have them with the ball at their feet, taking people on, and knowing their success rates for that. I guess you could track it from tackles and that sort of standpoint. I just have a hard time. I think not getting hyped up about defenders. So with Chris Richards, I go to like, yeah, I want him to be with Byron and competing and see what happens. But I think it is probably smarter to take a, we know he'll get minutes and starts and reps with a club versus let's see what happens at a bigger one when historically uh, sort of unproven players do not get those opportunities. Yeah, so Bell's, he, I think, with a smart shot. Well, yeah, I, I think, you know, we saw how much he blossomed at Hoffenheim when he was getting 90 minutes week in, week out at center back. He needs that. He needs that at this stage of his development. I mean, I think any player needs that at any stage of development to be sharp. So I think it, let's 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 have him play at a club where he's going to get that every week. All right. So in the meantime, let's go back to Joe, though, for his uh, best defender of the season. I had Dest, Richards, and Brooks as my nominees, and John Brooks <laughs> is my answer. He is 100% my really? answer here. Right. I, I went back through and just looked at how much he played for Wolfsburg this season because injuries have been an issue for him in the past, and there were little injury scares along the way. But he started 31 of Wolfsburg's 34 Bundesliga games, passed the heck out of the ball, looked shockingly solid defensively. Taylor, you highlighted that on a recent show. He has good cover next to him, and that's very important. He's not a flawless defender. In fact, I don't think that's one of his strengths. But still, he plays a defensive position, and he helped Wolfsburg get to the Champions League, finishing fourth this year under Glasner. That's huge for them. That's a hugely successful season. Yeah. John Brooks is a is a massive part of that, and he continues to be the U.S. men's national team's most important center back heading into a pretty critical period in this World Cup qualifying cycle. Uh, and I will round it up by saying I did have Serginho Dest as my uh, my best defender, and I think that is maybe partially like overly reliant on narrative a little bit just because of him moving to Barcelona, lest we forget he could have also moved to Bayern. He chose Barca, but then there were questions of was the system going to work? Was Kuman going to work? I think those questions continue about Kuman, but it's a formation change. It's a stylistic change for him in terms of what he's being asked to do on the ball, off the ball. He's asked to attack more, and I think he sort of grows into it as the season goes and becomes a very good performer for a Barcelona team that did have a down season, and that is probably the knock against him. There is still silverware in there, which is certainly a positive, but I think, Joe, then you're right when you're looking at the sort of deaths, I think developed a lot, and I will talk more about that later on, but I think Brooks, for what he did in terms of his own development, but also sort of solidifying his reputation as our most reliable defender. And then also Wolfsburg getting into the Champions League. Uh, no small feat there. So I, I am good with all of them uh, being uh, co-champions, but I think I'll, I'll give it to Brooks and Richards to share. Uh, they get my, my mutual votes. What about with midfield, where there are many nominees, and yet it also feels like we might all have the kind of consensus same pick for the uh, the winner? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I have Weston McKinney here as well. There are yeah. a lot of strong nominees. It took everything in me to hold myself back from just saying Yunus Musa's name about 87 mm -hmm. times in a row. But he didn't play a whole <laughs> lot, and he, he didn't play in a role that suits him. And none of that stuff is necessarily his fault. But, I mean, Javi Gracia is gone now from Valencia, so next season could look different for him in terms of where he's being used positionally. But for all the reasons that we talked about earlier, for all the reasons that I laid out earlier, I have Weston McKinney. I will say, though... Uh, 
there were a lot of similarities between the season that Weston McKinney had and the season that Tyler Adams had. Uh, they played a very similar number of minutes, around 1,700, 1,800 minutes. They both move around a lot in terms of their positioning. Adams plays some games starting as a right wing back, as a right back, and, and then plays others in central midfield. McKinney shifts around, but he does it more during the run of play. He'll start wide and drift in centrally in possession, or he'll go out to defend the wing after after turning after Juve turned the ball over in the middle. He does a lot of the, the rotations that Adams does. He just does them a lot faster and during a 90-minute game. But the one thing that swayed me firmly to McKenney's side is he has that shock move that none of us were expecting, again, that we talked about earlier. So it was a, a more difficult choice, actually, than I thought it would be after digging into the numbers and thinking about it. But Weston McKenney is still my answer over Adams and Musa and maybe a couple other folks. All right. What about you, Bells? Yeah, I'll take Adams because I guess not to not trying to disagree with Joe here, but I, I guess I think McKenney McKenny played so much on the front line for Juventus, particularly earlier sure, sure. in his season, that I just think of Adams as more of a midfielder, even though, as you said, Adams played a lot of wing back and um even right back. So yeah, I just I'm gonna go with Adams. I think he he's uh Especially for the national team, he is going to be so important. So important that he stays healthy and and is uh, and is able to consistently influence games along with Musa in the middle. So he's my guy. All right, and who have you got? Who is your guy for best attacker? Well, Christian Pulisic. Uh, <laughs> I I don't think you know. I don't think it's too hard to argue that point. He's. He is no exaggeration. One of the most dangerous players in the world. He's he's uh, he's played in the Champions League final this weekend. He is a trailblazer for the U.S. He is electrifying to watch on television. And I mean, was there's just never anything, been anything like him at this level for in terms of American players. And the fact that he you know he scored the tie winner against Real Madrid and then they got the assist to ice the second leg. I mean, that is influence. You know, even when he's coming off the bench. So he's my guy. Do you have any, like, let's say he only gets five minutes in the Champions League final. Does that change anything? Or does it, if anything, intensify your feelings about Christian Pulisic? Uh, I mean, I'll be disappointed if he only gets five minutes in the in the final. Um, but it doesn't change my, it doesn't change my vote here. I think he is, he is clearly the, you know, the, the Cadillac or the Mercedes Benz of the, I think more of a Mercedes Benz or Ferrari than a Cadillac, really. Yeah, I think that's that's a fair one. I th- maybe yeah, I'm not sure who Scratch the Cadillac. The Cadillac. Scratch the Cadillac. <laughs> uh, I, I had Daryl DK on the list as well, uh, though I think maybe he is a little bit below Christian Pulisic, just because no disrespect, but a little disrespect for the championship. Mm-hmm. And then Brendan Aronson as well for that move for how again seamlessly he fitted in, scoring goals, getting assists. And I do think that he will get a move if it's not to Leipzig, then it's maybe probably to another Bundesliga club who need a creative attacker, though, even if he doesn't, I think a half season or a full season with Salzburg, where I think he increasingly becomes the man and maybe gets some of that swagger, some of that confidence that can't hurt either. But I do still have him below Christian Pulisic as my best attacker of the season. Joe, how say you? Yeah, I'm on the same page as you two fine gentlemen. I went back and looked at like, how how Christian Pulisic's minutes were allotted over the course of the season, specifically after Tuchel took over. And I'm not a I'm not a big narrative guy, but there's some emotional appeal to Tuchel taking over on January 26th. At that time, Pulisic had started Chelsea's last seven games, 
Then he goes on the bench against Wolves the next day after Tuchel's hired. Then he's on the bench again and again and again and again. Christian Pulisic didn't play more than 45 minutes under Tuchel in a single game until March 13th. So he, he waited about a month and a half on the bench. And then if we fast forward to today or, or recently in the Champions League, he does all those great things that Bells was talking about. And he might very well start the Champions League final on Saturday. That, that narrative combined with his Mercedes-Benz Ferrari playing style and importance I mean, it's hard to it's hard to beat that, even with guys like Aronson and, and DK doing some and, and Gio Reyna as well doing some pretty impressive things over in Europe. Mm-hmm. Why do we think then there has been like such a, if not like negative reaction to him? Then there is definitely a trend I see of like dismissing what he did under Frank Lampard because I remember in my notes and in weekend reviews talking about how he was at times and as Bellis has already said like their most exciting attacking player and the one who seemed most capable of creating and taking people on and trying stuff and and yet when that managerial change happens there I, I did feel like there was this kind of undercurrent of well he actually hasn't performed that well and he hasn't been a consistent starter a reliable starter and that's why he is on the bench now and then Thomas Tuchel doesn't need him and there's definitely an alternate approach to this season that sees it as a sort of uh negative one for Christian Pulisic and I'm not and I'm not there at all I'm not even asking you all like to be there I'm mostly asking if you all have ideas as to why that sort of narrative persists because even bells when you say he's one of the most exciting or like best attackers in the world I cringe a little bit I get a little bit like uncomfortable even though I know I agree it just feels like it's maybe not a thing we've ever said before in about American so it feels wrong to say it now maybe that's it yeah I mean he is a streaky player. I don't think there's any doubt about that. You know, he he has he has like great runs of form followed by sort of uninspiring runs of form and like that that post that post pandemic break run last year, you know, in in like May and June, maybe even into July, where he was like he you could argue he was the most dangerous player in the world for that little two-month stretch. Um and then he wasn't, you know, like like Joe said he didn't even play under Tuchel that much when Tuchel took over. So I yeah I I I get the sort of inconsistency knock on Pulisic but on his day when he is feeling it man he's so fun to watch and I I say that I think without bias you know I I I I take off my red white and blue blazer and put it aside when I say that you know <laughs> You just put on your blue blazer for Chelsea Yeah <laughs> There we go. That's perfect. That works well. Uh, we've gone through some uh, positions. Let's talk silverware for a second. Uh, I, I was going to ask most impressive piece of silverware. I still will, but I will first ask you, Joe, how much of it is dependent on what happens this weekend? Because I wouldn't expect Zach Steffen to start for Manchester City. If he does and they win, then I think it's probably Zach Steffen's uh, award is best silverware. But if it's Pulisic, and as I said, if it's him coming off the bench for five minutes and not being a critical performer, or even like a time-wasting sub in the 91st minute, but he has been involved in the campaign that gets them there, and if Pulisic is lifting the Champions League or getting that medal at the end of the season, does he automatically get best piece of silverware? <laughs> yeah, no. If Christian Pulisic wins the Champions League final on Saturday, that, that belongs mm-hmm. to him, because he has been a hugely important part of Chelsea getting there. And, and you could even make a strong argument. It's the Champions League final. If Zach Steffen does nothing but play and train and, and watch Pep draw on the tactics board or whatever, like that's, that's impressive in its own right. There's so much nuance to how you want to choose these awards. I mean, we've got Bells digging into the defensive aspect, and then you know, we can get into so many different nuances of these different categories. But either way, I have in my notes, after Saturday, the most impressive piece of silverware won, no matter who wins that game, will be the Champions League trophy uh, for me. Right now, 
today on Tuesday, May, uh, May 25th, as we're recording this right now. I have a different answer, but for Saturday, mm-hmm. it's it will be the Champions League final trophy. Bell, I, are you in agreement? I with that disagree. I'm going to say if you know if if Stefan wins, if Man City, if Man City beats Chelsea on Saturday, I don't think Stefan gets. I mean, sure, he's part of the team. He he does watch Guardiola draw on the <laughs> whiteboard, but like it's not it's not that he's not been a key contributor for that team. You know, at least on the field. Yeah, there may be, you know, he's a contributor in other ways, but like locker room uh, leader, fellas. Locker sure, room sure, yeah. I mean, I'm obviously he gets he gets he gets credit for it on paper and everything, but I guess my answer is the most impressive piece of silverware is whichever piece of silverware Pulisic gets. Do they get silverware for second place? They do. I think they get uh, yeah runner up medals, which then usually get thrown into the crowd in uh, frustration or mutual celebration or some combination thereof. Yeah. So that so whether it's a runners up medal or a champions medal, it's going to be whatever Pulisic receives and maybe quickly discards on Saturday. So you would put you would put him getting a runners up medal over say Timothy Weah winning the French league over say Weston McKinney getting the Copa Italia? Yeah, because I mean there's slightly different situations but like but Chelsea went to the Champions League final, you know? I mean, that's that's so unprecedented for an American. Yes, it's unprecedented for a, for an American to win the Copa Italia, but Juventus did have kind of an off year. And McKinney, McKinney had his struggles, especially down the stretch, uh, you know, so, sort of a somewhat of a falling out with Pirlo. And, and Lille, yes, that's really impressive for Lille, but Wea, you know, Wea hasn't been a key part of that team down the stretch. He didn't even play in the in the final game of the season, which was a game they had to win. So Pulisic, I mean Pulisic Pulisic had his off moments this season, but he he beat Real Madrid in the Champions League semifinal. I think like that that just carries a lot of weight for me. That's really interesting. I cuz I I did feel sort of like it's a weird situation where if he doesn't play a lot in that final, I don't know how excited I am and now I'm playing into my own narrative of like why aren't people more excited about Christian Pulisic and I'm doing it myself so maybe maybe that is the the uh good approach to have and then we can just hope that it is Pulisic versus Stefan somehow uh I doubt it will be but I'm now wondering this is a random one like my assumption would be that if you asked a professional player what is the the tournament you most want to win in your life what would be the thing that you would most want to win in your career my assumption is that they would say the Champions League first. I'm guessing, or excuse me, the World Cup first. Yeah. I'm guessing then they would say the Champions League. I don't know what the third would be. So, Joe, to you and then to Bells, do you all, do you agree with those first two? And, and if so, what do you think is the third, like, most prestigious thing that a player would want to win? CONCACAF Champions League, obviously. We all, we all know that's the answer. <laughs> Every player at CCL well done, Fever, Joe. and they've had it since uh, playing <laughs> U18 or U15 or whatever it is. Uh, honestly, I don't. Joe just channeling John Arnold on the show. I have today. no idea what the third most prestigious. Tro- I guess it, it probably depends on where you're from, right, and where you grew up and what you spend time watching yeah. as a kid. Because it, it does seem like a pretty clear top two. I agree with you, Taylor. World Cup, Champions League. After that, I mean, it it might it's, it might be it's different. Be if you're the Premier, Desk it's versus be the Premier League, the Premier League Championship, right? That's the pro- third. Probably one for most Champions. folks in the in the U.S. and in the United Kingdom, but. I don't Maybe not for other folks in Europe. But, I mean, I generally agree with you on that, Bells. It probably is the Premier League. Like, does Edson Cavani want to win Copa Lib in South uh, America? Maybe, or does he yeah. want to win the Premier League title with Manchester United more? Yeah. I, I guess we'll have to ask him. 
Uh, Let's get him on. uh, Joe, if you want to get on that one real quick. Sending emails right now. Ask him and then we'll know. Right now. Uh, In the meantime, while Joe writes that email, let's talk. The the next two categories, our final two categories, are sort of the same, but also, I think, pretty different. Uh, Best overall growth or development by an American playing abroad. Uh, I had Serginho Dest for this one. I've talked a lot about him in our Americans Abroad Weekend Reviews. And a lot of the stuff that I used to be worried about, like 1v1 defending with him, not that it's completely gone, because I think with any defender, you will always be worried about 1v1, unless they're Virgil van Dijk, he might be the only one. But for the most part, I thought Serginho Dest improved that. I thought his awareness and willingness to to work back and the kind of rate at which he did that improved. I thought his willingness to take people on, get crosses in, and try to create, he definitely had that Barca influence there. So I saw him add a lot to his game, and then I hope that that continues. So I had Serginho Dest. Uh, Bells, where were you on this one? Yeah, I'm going to go with Richards, who I've already I've already sort of gone on at length about. But yeah, I thought he, going into the Christmas break or the winter break, he was, he was he, we didn't know what to think of Richards. You know, he was a reserve player for Bayern Munich, and he got that loan to Hoffenheim, and he, he delivered, and he's now, I think, a bona fide Bundesliga center back who is, you know, a standout. So that's a big that's a big deal, and it's a big deal for the player pool too. I think there's a clear pecking order where it's Brooks, and then Long and Richards are pretty close to each other, and then it's a and then it's quite a drop off from them to the next group of center backs. So that's a big deal, I think. Joe, do you want to you want to cast your vote here? Or do you want to make it a three way tie? Oh no, I'll I'll cast my vote for my own player, not for either one of yours. So we're going to make it a tie. It took go. me a really long time to understand what you'd said. And, and then I just, it was too late. Anyway, I have Brendan Aronson <laughs> for this category. Um, not, not necessarily because I think his game has improved a ton. I think, I do think he has gotten more creative, but again, I'm guessing that's a product of his move, which is why I have him in this category, moving from the union where he's playing as a 10 in a four, four, two diamond over to Salzburg, where he's playing as a left-sided attacking midfielder in a four, triple two under Jesse Marsh. He's better as a wide player, and we've seen that. Yeah, the competition isn't as good in the Austrian Bundesliga as it is in MLS, but we're seeing him excel in that wide attacking role using the the quick play principle that Jesse Marsh teaches of of wanting these combinations, wanting his players to be close together and combine and and do little flicks and be creative and use that side of Aronson's game. So either he's improved creatively or he's just having more chances to show it. But either way, I think that that growth, both in terms of getting the move at all and, and moving over to Europe where the next move is more accessible, but then also just really shining in a different position because of that move. Those are the, the two reasons why I went Aronson. So three-way tie. Yes, three-way tie. I understood your question entirely from the start. I want to say <laughs> I want to say I Aronson is my number two, and I think it's because he not only does he look more creative, he looks more confident than he did at Philadelphia in my eye, he, he also looked very good for the national team in the last window. And I think that, that counts for a lot for me. He came off, came in off the bench and was an, an immediate impact player. So I almost agree with you, Joe. <laughs> uh, Bells for you then, are there, are there things that you like would like to see Sergio Des work on or get better at, or is it more that you just sort of felt like he was an established player, whereas the the other two we're discussing are are more so like coming on leaps and bounds this season. Yeah, I I was calling for Des to be like a national team starter when he was still at Young Ajax. So you know, yep. I mean, <laughs> I'm I'm a little bit of an outlier on that. Which young American playing for a young uh, Eredivisie team were you most hyped about? Was it Serginho Dest? Was it Alex Mendez? Was it Ledesma? What's the uh, What's the order? At this point? <laughs> well, it's got to be Ledesma, 
I'm sorry. I wish you had asked the question about best promotion of the senior team because there really aren't that many options here. Uh, I was going to say Ledesma is the one who he got hurt right after he broke through at PSV and he's been out for a long time and is going to be out until the fall. But yeah, Ledesma's, I think Ledesma has an incredibly high ceiling. He also has, a, I think, a pretty low floor. So we'll see what happens. And hopefully he comes back strong from that injury. All right, our final category. Uh, Joe, we'll go to you with this one first. Uh, who's the player who climbed Burhalter's depth chart the most? Yunus Musa, because he wasn't even on the depth chart months ago. And now he is not only in that picture, but he is, as we've said, likely a starting piece of that midfield and a very, very important piece for all that he brings to that that spot as one of those number eights or who knows, maybe as a number six down the line. I'd never heard of Yunus Musa like before mm-hmm. November. And then I remember hearing some rumblings on Twitter about him potentially being American eligible and then doing a bunch of research. And then Paul Tenorio wrote a piece for him, uh, wrote a piece about him breaking that he was going to be called up to that November window, I believe it was. And now he is genuinely one of my favorite players to watch, regardless of nationality. It's it's Yunus Musa all day for me. Joe says Yunus Musa. Bells, who have you got? I'll say Kellen Acosta because he wasn't even on the depth chart, uh, you know, seven or eight months ago. And he he sort of was resurrected by Burhalter in the national team. You know, it's sort of famously Burhalter sent him home from January camp. I think it was in 2019 without even giving him an appearance in the friendly. Like he didn't even get to be in the in the match day roster. And uh, so we thought, well, you know, that's it for Kellen Acosta and the national team. Well, lo and behold, here he is back. And, uh, and I think he has a chance of, you know, if we're going to go to a World Cup, Tomorrow, he he has a decent shot of being on the twenty three. You all have both made very compelling arguments because I had uh, I definitely had Eunice Moose on my list. I had Jordan Sibichu as well for the the reasons you both have said, which is that I don't think he was in that conversation up until a couple months ago, really. But my nominee is going to be Chris Richards, uh, who uh, I feel like I can get bells on board on that one, uh, yeah, but- just because he is one who, when he was with Byron two, he was with Byron two, and he was another one of those players that I was sort of like, is he? Is it a Julian Green situation where he might be good enough? Maybe he'll get some minutes, but maybe he'll end up going on loan, and then that's where it gets sort of solidified. But that always feels like it takes a long time, or is he eventually going to get a first-team opportunity? And so for him to have gotten to the point where he is a consistent starter in the Bundesliga for Hoffenheim, who are no slouches, they're not some, it's not... I know Bielefeld, who tend to go up and go back down. Uh, it is a team that we would expect to be there, and that uh, we would expect that that move likely gets made permanent. Otherwise, there will be interest elsewhere. But I think how he's kind of risen to the occasion to the extent that now with the injury to Aaron Long, I had him as my other starter alongside John Brooks. And that's definitely not where I was at the beginning of the season. I'm assuming Greg Berhalter was not either. So I guess I am presuming that Greg Berhalter wasn't as uh, hyped about Chris Richards then as he is now. But that's why I went with Richards uh, for this one. Uh, How do you all feel about that one? I feel great about it. Yeah. <laughs> Hoffen- I, center- I, I, Go ahead, Bells. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, Hoffenheim, Hoffenheim is a team, they had a rough, a little bit of a rough season, particularly before Richards joined up because they had so many injuries. And, but they're good. They're a good team. And they're, they're a club that is generally, you know, fighting for one of the European places in the Bundesliga. So I, you know, if he ends up staying there, I think he, uh, he'll, I think I'm very optimistic about how next season will go for him. 
Well, I think that about uh, brings us to a close here today. We've done some categories, some awards. We've done some roster analysis. Joe, anything else we need to discuss or that you would like to discuss before we uh, bring this one to a close? No, ending on a center back is the perfect way to do it. Anytime a center back gets some love, (laughs) an angel gets its wings. So we're good. We're done here. That's perfect. Uh, And then uh, for Bells, uh, I already asked you about what your plans are going to be for this summer. But if people uh, want to hear more from you or uh, get your newsletter, how can they do that? Check out the Scuff Podcast on uh, on Apple Podcasts and all the places where you listen to podcasts. And um, you can find my newsletter and a lot of other stuff if you find my personal Twitter, which is Adam Bells, at Adam Bells. I don't tweet that often, but I, you, I do provide avenues to get to Scuffed News and the newsletter, which I am very proud of. As well, you should be. Although I will say you do have me confused about if I'm supposed to tag scuffed or your personal one when I'm mentioning you. So like when I, when I, when I hyped that you were going to be on here yesterday on Twitter, I went with the scuffed podcast account. Is is that acceptable? That's good. Or, yeah. That's what was, was Greg hurt. That, that's my soccer. That's, that's okay. the soccer audience for sure. That, that works. Your persona. Yeah. <laughs> right. People know it's me, I think for the most part. Well, Adam Bell, thank you again for taking all the time uh, to talk before we started recording uh, and listen to me talk more specifically, uh, and then to talk about uh, all the many Americans we've discussed today. Super fun, guys. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. And Joe, uh, thank you as well. I know you will be with me tomorrow, twice tomorrow. We're going to be doing some lister questions about uh, the season that was, and then we're going to be doing the Champions League preview. How are you feeling about your double recording commitment? Oh, I'm so ready. I'm I, I'm just so excited. I love talking about soccer. This was so much fun. I'm excited for tomorrow. Just bring it on, baby. Bring it on. I, I really hope that is still your attitude at the end of the <laughs> summer. We shall see. But for now, listeners, thank you all very much for listening, and we will talk to you all again very soon. 